you would open up God's Word to the fourth book in the New Testament, we'll be in John's Gospel, John chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 9. John chapter 12 and verse 9. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about Palm Sunday, or what we commonly call the triumphal entry. Now, I preached on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, uh, well, I've been here almost 10 years, so I guess almost 10 times. I've been in church. all my life, and so I've heard I don't know how many sermons on the triumphal entry. But as I studied this week, I, I think it was the first time I was ever really struck by how askew our idea of what Palm Sunday actually was like really is. Because usually, at least maybe you can identify. When I think of Palm Sunday, here's what I picture Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And, you know, people are milling about, doing their business, and they see Jesus riding on this donkey, and all of a sudden they're like, It's Jesus! And everybody starts praising God and, and waving the palm tree, uh, palm, yeah, palm trees, the palm branches. Uh, and and, it, and they start, there, there's this eruption of, of spontaneous praise when they recognize Jesus is the Messiah. Does that resonate with anybody? Well, that's partially accurate, but it's not really the whole story. I mean, what, just think, what was it that caused this time to be different from the other times Jesus went to Jerusalem? He went to Jerusalem several times, some of those even at Passover like he did here. So what was it about this time that made people all of a sudden start to praise? If you read John, uh, John's Gospel, you know that it's because what happened in chapter 11, which was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So it wasn't totally spontaneous. Another thing that I had never noticed, and, and hopefully you'll pick up on this, as we read through it, I'd always just pictured one crowd of people. Jesus comes into town, and the people that are there see him and start praising. But there are actually two crowds, really three if you get technical, because uh, all the people, the uh, the people, the pilgrims that are coming to Jerusalem. But there's a group that comes out from Jerusalem, but there's also a group that's going with Jesus from Bethany. So there are really two groups that kind of converge. Uh, and I, I can just imagine this big mass of people just kind of colliding, not in a bad way, but, but they all just meet up and there's this huge teeming mass of people that begin to praise Jesus. What about this? People are praising and welcoming Jesus. Therefore, they must recognize that He's the Messiah and understand what He's really about, right? I mean, it is triumphal. That's what we call it. But when you look at the text today, you'll see that... Nobody understood what Jesus was doing. Even the disciples who had been with him for three and a half years, it went right over their heads. They just missed it. And so the thing that really stands out to me in our text today is how many people totally missed Jesus' mission. From the cheering crowds to the slow-to-understand disciples, they all missed it. And likewise, many in today's contemporary church, especially here in America, we missed Jesus' whole mission too. And... We're going to look at that just a little bit. What I want us to do is I want us to to take pains to understand what Jesus' mission really was about. And and so before we get to the text, I want to... It's much shorter than it was last week because it was a whole bunch of verses last time. It's pretty short this time. Um, But the text today, I I feel that we need to set the stage a little because I think in doing so it will help us get a clearer picture of what is happening in our text. Where we're going to start reading, you'll, you'll notice that John starts talking about many Jews. And John uses the phrase many Jews as kind of a shorthand in his gospel, oftentimes to talk about Jews from Jerusalem. Now, last week you might remember that Mary, Martha, and 
Lazarus were all siblings. And uh, Lazarus got sick and he died and Jesus wasn't up there. You remember all that? And they sent word down to him. He didn't go up there until a couple days later. And, and by the time he got up there, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Well, in the meantime, Lazarus had died. You know, the obituary goes out. What does everybody do? Oh, my goodness, Lazarus has died. We need to take some food over to Mary and Martha. And that's, I mean, we do that today. We give them a call. We go over to their house to see people. Well, back then, hospitality was a big thing. One of their customs was after somebody died, people would just flock to the house and they would sit with and they would comfort the family. And a lot of times they'd just sit with them. And that's, that's a good ministry, just to, just to sit. And so they would be there, they would comfort. And one of the things they would do is they would, they would make a big show of crying and weeping sometimes. But anyway, so all these people came to Mary and Martha's house and they were there and they were comforting them. Many of them were, were weeping because they were in pain. And you remember Jesus shows up and he does the resurrection of Lazarus. And all these people see what happens. And the Bible says that many of them believed on Christ. But some of them did not. And basically those who did believe, everybody there, I think, I think people are kind of the same no matter what area, era of history people are in. And so what would we do? I mean, if I saw Joanne get resurrected... I'd be getting on Facebook, and I'd be like, man, look at this, I, I just can't believe it. I'd post a video of, of what I took with my cell phone. I mean, it would be, it'd go viral, it'd be on YouTube, I'd be getting calls from the, the networks, all this stuff. You know, don't get excited like I do. <laughs> and so anyway, that's what I, would, I that's what we do, right? Maybe you don't do YouTube, you, you, Facebook, but man, if Mary Ann saw Joanne get resurrected, you better believe she's going to be on the phone, she's going to be telling somebody. She's going to be going to somebody's house saying, guess what I saw? We tell people. When something amazing happens, we tell them. These people went back to Jerusalem, and they're telling everybody what they saw. But the ones that didn't believe, they went and they told too, but they were kind of like tattletales. They went to the Pharisees and said, this is what Jesus did. And John 11 says that the Pharisees got together, and they had a meeting, and they decided it would be better to have Jesus killed than for everybody to start following Christ, and then the Romans see that as insurrection, come down hard on them, and all that. So Jesus slips away to a place called Ephraim, and the Pharisees put a bounty out on Jesus' head, and they say, if anybody sees Jesus, and this is in John chapter 11, if anybody sees Jesus, you let us know, and we'll take care of him. Okay, so that's, that's the stage that's set. So then in chapter 12, a few days before the Passover, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they say, you know what? We're going to have a banquet for Christ. With all that he's done for us, we're going to have a big party and celebrate him. So they throw a big party. Jesus comes, and word gets out, because Bethany is only about two miles from Jerusalem. Word gets out. Jesus, the miracle worker, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, is at Lazarus' house eating with the man who used to be dead, and he brought back to life. And so people, just like today, we love a spectacle, don't we? That's why if there's a car wreck on the interstate, what do we do? We slow down and look. People love a spectacle. They said, I'm going to go see Lazarus. Some of them went because of Lazarus and Jesus, some just for Jesus. But a lot of them went just to see Lazarus. And they saw him. They're like, this is a man who was dead, is sent before me, incontestable proof. There's the man who raised him. Many of them believed on Jesus too. So those people are going out telling people about Jesus. And they went, out, went away believing at least to some degree. And that's where we pick up in John chapter 12 and verse 9. And again, I want you to notice as we read through this how everybody misses 
what Jesus is about. So stand with me if you would. And we're going to read uh, just a few verses starting in chapter 12 and verse 9. The large crowd of Jews, and your Bible may say many Jews, uh, then learned that he was there at the, at the banquet. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. In other words, there's proof. We're going to destroy that proof. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast... When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding the young donkey, said on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his, his disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're, doing, uh, that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are a lot of details we don't know about this uh, account, but there are several that we do know. We know that this happened on a Sunday, uh, probably late afternoon, early evening, because it was evening when he got to uh, Jerusalem. And he went out from Bethany. Now, as I said before, Bethany is just a couple miles from Jerusalem. And the way, from, uh, the way to Jerusalem would have been packed with people. Because remember, this is the Passover that Jesus is going to. And the Passover is one of the three feasts that every Jewish male was supposed to attend in Jerusalem. Now, the males were required to attend, but of course many of the women went up too, even though it wasn't required. They went up and worshipped with their families. Now, we don't know how many people were there. I think that we tend to have a small view of what was happening in Jerusalem at Passover. And I say that because uh, we think maybe a couple thousand, something like that, that would be a lot of people, right? But in A.D. 66, so about 30 years after this happened, uh, the Syrian governor had a census or, or, or a count taken of all the beasts that were killed at Passover. And we, again, we tend to think, oh, maybe a, a couple hundred cows or something like that. The number that was recorded was 256,500 animals were killed at that Passover. That would mean that there were at least 2,700,000 people in that one city. That's a bunch. And so people from all over the world, especially around Galilee and stuff like that, especially the people that had seen Jesus do miracles, that's where he had operated a lot in Galilee, they knew Jesus was going up there. And so all these people were coming to the city to celebrate Passover. So the roads would have been clogged with pilgrims going to the holy city. So you have all these people that Jesus is going to go out into. And here comes this mass of people from Jerusalem that had heard he was coming to town. And so they meet all these, all these pilgrims, and, and it appears that it's this group that came from Jerusalem that started the shouting. I want you to focus on verse 13 for just a second. <coughs> uh, these, these people that came from Jerusalem, verse 13, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, I want to focus on that because the people begin to celebrate Jesus. They worship him, and that is a good thing. We should worship the king. Aren't you glad we don't have to celebrate like they did, though? Because if we did, we'd be in trouble. We don't have any palm trees around here. Maybe we could grab an oak branch or something like that. But, but it seems kind of weird to me to cut down part of a tree and bring it in church and wave it around. Or to meet somebody on the road and wave it around. It seem, it's kind of foreign to us. Now back then it had a deep, deep significance though because the palm branches, were, waving that was a symbol of victory. See, a little over 100 years before this, there's a leader, a Jewish leader by the name of Simon Maccabee, Maccabees. And he had led uh, the Maccabean Revolt and there was an occupying army in Jerusalem, and he had led the army to expel these foreigners. And when he came into the city, guess what everybody did? They went out with palm branches and greeted him and waved, waved the palm branches around. We see the same picture in Revelation 7. You may, may remember that. But John, whenever he gets this view of, of heaven, in John chapter 7, the redeemed are before the throne waving palm branches. It's, it's a picture of overcoming victory. It's, it's, it's a celebration. But it has an even deeper connotation than just victory because during the Feast of Tabernacles, which happens just around the time of the Passover, the temple choir every day would sing the Hallel. And the Hallel are the songs of ascent. You say, that's all Greek to me. Actually, it's really Hebrew to you. The, the Hallel, the, the songs of ascent, Psalms 113 to 118. Remember, Psalms isn't just to read during times of trouble. They were actually used in their worship services. So like Psalm 113 to 118, that was their hymn book that they would sing during the Feast of Tabernacles. And when they would get to Psalm 118, it has these words, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. That phrase, O Lord, do save, we beseech you, that's translated Hosanna. So they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They do, did that every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. And when they got to Hosanna, it was repeated three times. And every man and every boy in the temple would take these, these bundle of, of myrtle and, and uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, willow, that's what it was, willow and myrtle, and it was tied with palm. And they would wave these, these bundles as they said, Hosanna. In fact, it was so associated with Hosanna that those bundles actually were called Hosannas. So here, here's all this stuff. Blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord. It began to have a messianic association. They began to associate this with the coming Messiah. And you can see this in the overtones of what they're saying. Look at verse 13 again. Uh, Hosanna, save, Lord, please. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. King of Israel, this is messianic language. And so these people are praising Jesus. And I just want to stop here for a second. That's kind of kind of convicting. Because how many times do we fail to live up even to what they do? Now, we come to church, and what are the three main things we do in church service? Sing, take up offering, have the preaching. All those three things are acts of worship. We think of the worship service as just being the music, but all those things are. 
What happens in a lot of churches at music time? Well, I can tell you what I've observed in churches that I've been in. The music's singing, the musicians singing, the music's playing. Guess what a lot of people are doing? Hanging out. Yeah, I like this music. Man, I wish this was over. Talking to their neighbor, texting somebody. Never open their mouth. Maybe they'll smile. If the song leader looks at them, what about what about the offering time? Giving our tithes and offerings is an act of worship. What happens when the plate goes by? Pass along. Oh, there's the usher looking at me. I better, I'm not even going to make eye contact with them. The preaching goes on. What happens? I heard a preacher just today say, "My preachers never killed anybody, but put some to sleep." I say, Amen. I have, I have I've put my fair share to sleep. But listen, what do we do when the preaching's going on? That's a time of worship. We're saying to God, you're important enough for me to pay attention to what your word says. But what do we do? Text, draw pictures, sleep, say, man, I sure do wish Jeff would hurry up. Turn off the gas, brother. I gotta go home. The game's gonna be on. The race is starting. I'm hungry. I got a roast in the oven. I mean, we come up, we zone out. So here are these people who have no idea what Jesus is about. We know what Jesus is about. They're praising him, and what do we do? Well, all kinds of stuff except praising. And I think that's a that's a convicting thought. How much more so? Should, I mean, we can praise and celebrate Jesus and honor Christ in all of life. How much more so should we be doing it at church? We should celebrate the Lord, but like these people, don't celebrate in ignorance. They celebrate in ignorance. And, and, and some people say, well, G- Jeff, anytime Jesus is getting praised, that's good. Eh, that's, that's partially true, but you know, I'm afraid that sometimes people are zealous, but not according to knowledge. And let me, let me explain. These people miss what Jesus was about. And if you look at what they say, you're like, man, they got it. They got it. If anybody got it, it was these people who had Jesus in front of them. They were acclaiming Him as King. But really the reason for worship is wrong because when you look at what they're saying and think about it, I mean, what were they thinking? They were thinking earthly king. They, they were thinking political Messiah. They were thinking victory, not over sin, death, and the grave. They were thinking victory, get Rome out of here. If you can raise Lazarus from the dead, what can you not do? If you can bring somebody that's been dead for days back to life, these Roman armies, you'll be able to just, boom. You, you can take care of them. We won't even have to take up arms. You're the man. They missed it, though. So what did Jesus do? They start, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And what does Jesus do? He says, y'all miss it. And this, this is me filling in some blanks. Y'all miss it. And he says, y'all, because he's from Missouri, too. No, not really. But he says, y'all miss it. And he knows he can't talk over everybody because you know how, how loud it is when you get a bunch of people together. He gives them a picture. He says, guys, go get a donkey for me. If they're not going to listen because they can't hear, they can see. And so he, the, the disciples bring him a donkey and he rides that into town. Now the people thought 
This is our Messiah. He's going to kick out the occupying force and bring freedom and restore the glory of Israel. But Jesus said, I've got another plan. I will take the throne by way of the cross. So that's one reason he did it. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not a warring king. I'm the prince of peace. Because here, here's their association and their mindset. If a king was coming in war, or if they were coming in victory from, from the battlefield, guess what they'd ride? A horse. A mighty stallion. Or they'd ride in a chariot. Pomp and all kinds of you know banners and confetti and everything. And everybody would be praising him. He was showing strength, power. But in that culture, if a, if a king came on a donkey, we'd say, who'd ever ride a donkey? And I think of Festus from Gunsmoke. You remember him? He rode a mule. He's kind of a goofy... And that's, that's kind of what we think. A donkey's kind of a lowly pack animal. But in that culture, a donkey was a noble creature. It was slow. It was strong. And when a king came on a donkey, he was coming in peace. And so here's all the crowd saying, All right, we've got a king coming. He's going to throw out the, uh, throw out the Romans. And Jesus is right on a donkey saying, No, nope, look, peace, not war. You all have it wrong. You're missing... My mission. I've got other plans. So that was one reason he did it. But he also did it to fulfill prophecy. Because you'll notice in the text, verse 15, he quotes a couple of passages, one out of Isaiah and one from Zechariah, and he combines them and talks about the Messiah coming seated on a donkey. A donkey's colt. Jesus literally fulfilled that. He came riding on a donkey. He was the Messiah. He was making that claim explicitly. And this is just me, just maybe because of my personality. But sometimes when people shoot off at the mouth and then something happens and know they can't do anything about it, I kind of rub it into them a little bit. And this, again, this is just an aside. I probably shouldn't even share it. But I just wonder, at the end of chapter 11, the, the Pharisees say, if anybody knows where Jesus is, you come tell us. And Jesus comes riding in on the donkey and everybody's praising him. And I wonder if some old boy didn't go by and say, Hey, I know where he is. He's right over there. You know, because they couldn't do anything about it. Anyway, I don't know why I shared that. But he did it to fulfill prophecy. He was the Messiah. It just wasn't the kind they expected. And even the disciples missed what he was doing. Because if you'll notice in, um, in, in verse 16, These things the disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, that's after the resurrection and ascension, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. They had been the ones to get the donkey, and they still missed it. They didn't get it. So, so what was Jesus really about then? Well, they thought political Messiah going to overthrow the Romans. We've talked about that I don't know how many times. What about today? Do people miss it today? Yeah. And if you listen to preachers, a lot of preachers, and I hope you never hear this from me, but if you listen to a lot of preaching, here's what you'll hear. This is the reason Jesus came. And this is not really the reason, but this is what you hear. He came to make you a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother, a better child, a better worker. Uh, He's going to fix your finances. He's going to make you healthy. He's going to make you wealthy. He's going to deliver you from addiction. He's going to do all these things. That's the reason Jesus came. That's not the reason Jesus came. That ain't it. His purpose was to win victory over the devil. 
His purpose was to provide salvation from sin. He came so that sinful man could relate to a sinless and holy, perfect God. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. You see the difference there? It's not Now, does Jesus make you a better husband? Yeah. Does He make you a better mother? Yeah. Is that the reason He came? No. Those things are byproducts. It's secondary. Jesus came so that those who are far off from God might be brought near to Him through Jesus' death on the cross. That's the whole reason Jesus came to earth and died on the, died on the cross. And when I talk about, when I say that he, he came to make dead people live, I'm talking about spiritual things. Because the Bible says that apart from Christ, we're all dead in trespasses and sin. That's you and that's me. All of us. There's none good, no, not one. But through Christ, God will quicken us. The Bible says He'll make us alive. He'll give us new life. And now we can have victory over sin. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Before we were enslaved to sin, but now we're not. Paul says that I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives within me. We can have victory over the devil. What does the Bible say? Greater is he that's in you than who? He that's in the world. That's the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We can have victory over the grave. Paul says, but when this perishable shall put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, uh, uh, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He says that the sting of death is sin, and the sting of, uh, of, of uh, uh, or the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason Jesus came. And consequently, that's the reason to celebrate. It's good to praise Him, but don't do it ignorantly. Do it for what He's actually done. You have plenty of reason to praise Him just for that. Now, this passage closes in verse 19 with the Pharisees complaining. And it's so ironic because I just see them argue with each other. See, Luke, you're not doing any good because everybody's falling. The whole world's coming after Christ. And it's ironic because the next verse, and we didn't read verse 20 and following, but the very next verse, the Greeks come, Gentiles come, and they say, we want to see Jesus. Jesus has come, the Jews reject Him. The very next thing you see, the Gentiles come. So in all the celebration of Easter, don't miss the point. Jesus came to save you and to save me. That's why He died. So are you thankful for it? Here's another observation I made in church life. And you, maybe you can identify with this too. The preacher will say something like, Any prayer requests? Any praises? And you hear this right here. Silence. Or maybe there's been a bunch of requests. The preacher says, Sir, praise. You hear a pin drop. You hear crickets. And then some some dear saint that feels bad that there's silence. Here's what they'll say. I'm just thankful Jesus saved me. You ever heard that? Now it's great. I'm I'm thankful Jesus saved me, and I hope you are too. But I wonder how many times we say that because there's an uncomfortable silence, but we don't actually stop to say thank you to Jesus. How many times do we actually stop 
and be thankful to God for the whole salvation. Now, if every time somebody says that, they really do it when they pray, thank Him, fantastic. If they're saying it out of a heart of gratitude, fantastic. Saying it because they're silenced, not so fantastic. And so I, I want to challenge you today. If, if God has saved you, are you thankful for it today? And if so, when's the last time you're praising for it? You say, well, it's been a while, preacher. Well, in just a little bit, we're going to have a time of prayer. Prayer is talking to God. You don't have to make a big show of it. You don't have to get palm branches and wave around. You don't have to say Hosanna. You don't have to say Hallelujah, Amen, Praise the Lord, any of those things. Just in your heart, when you're talking to God, say thank you. If somebody does something nice for you, how do you thank them? Well, you say, actually say it. Lord, thank you that you died on the cross for me. God, I, I realize that it was a huge sacrifice to send your son. And I know me well enough that if it was me in your shoes, I wouldn't have sent my son because I know how I am and I wouldn't have. I wouldn't give anything to save me. Jesus, thank you for knowing the agony that you're going to suffer and doing it anyway. Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting my heart, making me realize that I need a Savior, drawing me to you, drawing me to, to, to God, and then your presence with me now that I've been saved. Thank you. I know it's been a while since I've said that. Thank you. Isn't that simple? But we just miss it. We have so many other things. God, please do this. Please do that. I have this going on. Please take care of this situation. That we don't stop and say thanks. And you might be here and, and you've ne you, you don't say that because you've never experienced it. The Bible says that whosoever will may come. The, the Greeks came to Jesus. Jesus died for them. Some Jews came to Jesus. He died for them too. Americans come to Jesus because He died for them. Hispanics come to Jesus because He died for them. Russians come to Jesus because He died for them. The Bible says, Whosoever will may come. And if you've never come, accept Christ today.